0: Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them,
1: Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey.
0: Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another,
2: Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt.
0: Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel,
1: The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey.
3: only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them
0: then all the congregation said to stone them with stones But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses,
1: How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they.
0: But Moses said to the Lord,
1: Then the Egyptians
3: will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, It is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be as great as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation, please pardon the iniquity of this people. According to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt
1: until now.
0: Then the Lord said,
1: I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully I will bring him to the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea.
0: And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying,
1: How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me, say to them, As I live, declares the Lord. What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day. You shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall come to a full end. And there they shall die.
0: And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. Most journeys don't involve going in a straight line from point A to point B. There are usually twists and turns along the way. Sometimes we blow it and have to make a fresh start. So how can we get it right in our journey with Christ? There is a book in the Old Testament that can really help.
2: In some ways, I don't feel like I need to preach a sermon because that was so sad and so powerful just to hear God's word. But if I may, let me add a few thoughts to, to what you have heard. God gives gifts, but he gives them when we're ready for them. Uh, I brought, this is a manger, actually I built this when I was at First of Ann 40 years ago. <laughs> I found a hardware store. I think it was the one on Poplar that I don't think is there anymore. And they had some redwood. And so I uh, made this for our children when they were little. And on Christmas morning, we would open presents, but only when the gift of gifts showed up in the manger. And so they had that, which I think was a, a book that we read that was the Christmas story. So, you know, they would go looking. Has the gift of gifts shown up? No. Okay, well, let's and. We have a video. It's way too protracted. I'm thinking, Jim, why did you torture their children so long? But anyway, they were waiting for the gift of gifts so that we could have the gift. And the same is true of Father. Sometimes he waits to give us our gift. Sometimes he times the delivery to heighten our appreciation of his gift. For example, think of the Red Sea. It wasn't until they had their backs literally against, not the wall, but the wall of water. It wasn't until they had their backs against the wall when Pharaoh was closing in on them that then God delivered and it was just in time. Yet in other cases, he holds on to the gift so that our hearts can be prepared and ready to receive it. And that is true here of this promised land gift. Father has a gift that he wants to give to Israel but when they're ready for it when their hearts are ready for it in Numbers 14 which has been read Israel is going to demonstrate that they are not ready to unwrap God's good gift for them the gift is there so God is going to prepare Israel's children to unwrap the gift since mom and dad won't he's going to prepare them and this is not theoretical for us God has a gift for this church, one aspect of that gift is our next senior pastor. Are we ready? God will give us the gift when we are ready. Well, how do we know when we're ready? That's why we're going through the book of Numbers to better understand how to be ready for the gifts that God wants to give us. Now, we've learned Several principles so far. We've learned from the first sermon, God is our difference maker. With me, without me. With me, without me. We've learned from the cross that God's grace is our protection. That this was the one place we can go and be protected from the wrath of God. And then last week we learned God's gifts are good. And I brought a donut because I thought this would be helpful to you. Uh, I found it over in the fellowship hall. And by the way, I went to the joint air Sunday school class and they actually had donut holes. It looks like it there. So anyway, remember we talked about donut hole Israel was looking at God's gift when the spies came back and they said, yeah, but there's a hole in our donut. And they didn't remember God's gifts are good. Here's the fourth principle we're going to learn today, which is God chooses the lesson He decides what we need to learn. We choose the way. You can learn it the easy way or you can learn it the hard way. So choose the easy way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now at the wilderness of Paran, Israel is going to make a stupid decision for the record books. We saw day one of this three-day sequence when we considered it last week. When the spies return from their 40-day venture into the land, kind of the gift inspection tour... And when they returned, they gave a report and Israel said and agreed with them and cried all night because they said, yeah, it's good, but there's so much not to like about it. Then on day two, the day that we've just heard from the reading of Numbers 14, Israel says no to God. We don't want your gift. And then day three, which we won't, We're going to conclude for now the sermon series on the book of Numbers because we're going to do some Christmas things, but in January, we'll pick back up where we left off. So this third day, you won't get to hear about until the middle of January in which Israel wants a do-over what happened. And they say, yeah, we blew it, but can we just take a mulligan and we'll see how that works out. Paul explains the purpose of the book of Numbers. He says, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened to them as an example. There's what we read about was designed to help us. And they were written for our instruction so that we could learn from it, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This account was written for our benefit. What God did was designed to help us understand how God operates. So in this passage there are, that was read, Numbers 14, there are actually five sections to it. First, Israel says, here's our preferred future. We don't, we don't want to go in the land. We've got a better idea, God. Then we discover what Israel's core problem is. Then God has a proposal. How about if I do this? And Moses reacts to that proposal And then we find out about how grace and consequences work in concert. Grace does not necessarily remove consequences. So anyway, we'll jump in and see what we can learn. So in verses 1 through 4, and I'm not going to read all of the scripture again, but I am going to highlight some of the key verses. It says, Then all of the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They heard the spies report, and they were crying all night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, and now here they're suggesting better options. You know, uh, yeah, God's telling us, go take the land, but we think it would be better if, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. (laughs) Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? And then here's a prediction. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. That's what's going to happen. Then they go back to another preferred future. This is what we'd really like. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said, let's appoint a leader who will take us where we want to go, some leader. Israel would rather die in the wilderness than take the land. They're weeping because they're looking at the hole in the donut and they're saying what God wants to give us is a disappointment and we're disappointed with God they'd prefer to rewrite history we'd rather die in Egypt or they'd rather die in the wilderness they say our children will become plunder. Now, that's interesting because of what's going to happen a little later. God's going to say, your children you thought would be plunder, <laughs> they're going to actually follow through with what you have failed to, and they're going to succeed. Uh, their action plan is let's elect a leader who will lead us where we have decided to go. Because Israel denied principles 1, 2, and 3, in other words, God is our difference maker. And they're thinking, no, he's not. God's grace is our protection. No, it's not. God's gifts are good. No, it's not. And that's why they're going to decide to refuse God's gift and to leave it. Can you imagine a Christmas present in July sitting in the corner of the living room unopened? That's what they're going to do for 40 years. Because they don't want his gift. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly and those who spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And they're saying God's gifts are good. Uh, the, the two spies who were getting it are recognizing these principles they say if the lord is pleased with us then he will bring us into the land and give it to us god's grace is our protection a land that flows with milk and honey do not rebel against the lord and do not fear the people of the land for they will be our prey their protection has been removed from them and the lord is with us do not fear them god is our difference maker So the two spies are simply recounting the principles we've already considered and reminding them once again, this is a good gift and it is worth opening. The bottom line is the people are rejecting God by rejecting his gift. We don't want what you are giving us because we don't like you. Caleb and Joshua are saying there's nothing wrong with the gift. God's gifts are good. The only meaningful variable is, is God with us? And he's already told us, go take the land. I am with you. The land is ours because he says so. He is our difference maker. To balk at obeying God because you fear men is a sure path to disaster. Well, in their case, when the truth hurts, the two spies are saying what they are, When the truth hurts, they grab a rock. This is kind of, in in my mind, the original cancel culture. I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to throw a rock at you. And isn't that what we do today? We try and silence the voices that we don't agree with? Well, that's what was happening here in Israel. Because Israel is rejecting God's gift, they are rejecting God. That's what happened at the cross. Greatest gift ever to man was Jesus Christ presenting himself to Israel as God's good gift, and he was rejected, which was a rejection of God. And then God interrupts. Now, I don't think I have ever told this story, but I, it occurred to me and I thought, well, I think I'll share about what happened when Uncle George spoke up. I don't remember a lot of the details of this story, but I remember enough to be embarrassed and hopefully instructed. So I was in grade school, and I have an older brother who's three years older than me and a cousin who was also three years older than me. And we went to Uncle George's house and Uncle George decided to take us out on a nearby lake in his rowboat. And so here we are, some grade school kids riding in the rowboat and just enjoying a beautiful day. And uh, then uh, my older brother and my cousin started mocking Uncle George and they were doing the he's so fat thing. Now, George was not fat, but they were starting to say, Uncle George is so fat, da-da-da-da-da. And I was kind of watching as I'm the younger, and I'm kind of thinking, well, he doesn't seem to be saying anything, so this must be okay. So I joined in. <laughs> and Uncle George didn't say a thing. And so this just kept getting more and more bizarre until we came back to shore. And then Uncle George spoke up, and he said, what you did was mean and unkind. you 'll have to find your own way home and he loaded up the boat and drove back. Now I realize this is the fifties, so this is a different era, but you know but it was definitely several miles of walking and it was what have we done? What have we done? Because George looked at us, and he wasn't mad, at least not in an outrageous sort of way. I'm confident he was not happy, but he basically said. What you have done is wrong. You're going to walk home yourselves. And I think that experience, (laughs) and I have a hyperactive conscience, so anyway, I was totally undone. You know about my story with Tommy, and that tells you about just, I was totally undone by that. That, to me, is what this moment calls up. When I think about, then the Lord said to Moses. God can't stand it anymore. And he says, how long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. I will smite them with pestilence and dispossess them. And I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses hears God saying... Hey, Moses, what would you think of a do-over? I have supplied sufficient and accessible evidence that I can be trusted, I can be believed. But this people have defied the evidence, rejected me, they don't trust me. It's not about more evidence. I'm reminded of an incident in which Um, I was sharing Christ with someone who was very animated in his rejection of Jesus and he had all kinds of reasons why this was stupid to believe what we believe. And so I said, well, why do you think that? And he would raise a certain objection and then I would, because I'm kind of an apologetics guy, I would say, well, here's the answer to that. And then he would simply say, yeah, but, and then he would go on to another issue. Oh, that's an interesting one. Here's the answer to that. And we kept going like this for about an hour. And then I said, let me ask you a question. What if I was able to answer all of your questions? Would you accept Jesus? And he was honest enough to say, no, I wouldn't. And then I said, well, then your problem is really not evidence. Your problem is surrender. This is about deciding that you want to live on his terms and not your own. And that was true of Israel in this moment. It doesn't matter how much evidence he gives because he's already given them plenty of evidence. They have decided, I don't care what you do. I am not going to open the gift because I don't trust you. That's what they're saying to God. And frankly, I can understand why God would want to end the relationship. Everything about Israel shouts their desperate need for grace because if God gave them what they deserve, it would not be good. So if you were Moses, what would you think of God's offer? God says, I'm going to go ahead and wipe them out, and I'm going to make of you, Moses... A people that I'm going to bless. What would you say? <laughs> Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your strength you brought up this people from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They've heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them and you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In other words, God, you have a reputation. That is a factor that has to figure into what you do. If you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, because the Lord could not bring this people into the land which he promised them by oath. In other words, your ability is going to be called into question. Uh, But now I pray, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Your character is on the line. It's fascinating to me that Moses is answering not by talking about, wow, that would be awesome, God. I would love to be the head of my own people. He's not thinking about Moses. He's actually thinking about God. God, if you were to do this, you would give the, reason, the nations reason to think less of you. This is not your character. This is not who you are. Moses is saying, I know who you are. And then he makes this statement he says, Pardon, I pray the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness just as you also have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now you have been forgiving them and forgiving them and forgiving them pardon them now that's what I want you to do Moses could have jumped at God's suggestion instead Moses asked God now get this not to give up on Israel. That's really amazing, isn't it? How many times have I given up on somebody else? Written somebody off. I am confident that whatever they have done is not worse than what Israel did to God. And yet Moses is saying, don't write them off. Don't give up on them. By the way, church discipline is not about giving up on someone, but doing things that will promote repentance because we're concerned for their good. Moses' specific request is, I want you to give to this people grace-based pardon. And it's based on three points. God, your reputation among the nations, your character, and your history with Israel mean this is a justified and appropriate request. Would you please pardon them? And then God said, I have pardoned them according to your word. God forgave Israel. Whatever happens following this is not because God has not forgiven them. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land. That's a penalty. Did you catch what just happened? There is pardon. I've heard your prayer, Moses. I will pardon the people. But there is a penalty. They have demonstrated that they need circumstances in order to learn something that to this point they have not learned. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken, in other I'm going to give you what you've asked for. You've said, all right, we don't want to open God's gift. It would be better for us. They actually said this in the passage earlier, didn't they? It would be better for us if we were to die in the wilderness. And God says, okay. Man, be careful what you suggest as alternatives to the Lord. <laughs> he might grant it. And in their case, he did. So I will surely do to you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all of your numbered men, according to the complete number from 25 years and upward, who have grumbled against me. And then he makes this commentary. You know, they they said... Our children are going to become prey. And he says, your children, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in and they will know the land which you have rejected. It's basically God's way of saying to Israel, don't take a job as a prophet. You're really bad at this. You think your people, your children are going to become prey when in fact they are going to accomplish what you did not. And by the way, book of Numbers, remember from the first sermon? The total number of people was not much different in attempt one, failed, and attempt two, rousing success, 600,000 plus or minus. In this passage we've just read, we've seen that grace pardons, but it also instructs. They are pardoned and shown grace according to Moses' word. And that pardon is a glory promotion initiative. In other words, to show God for who he is. To display what God's character is. When I go to the cross and name Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I am forgiven. And God does that as a way of saying, look at what I have done. This is who I am. I am a God who forgives iniquity. And that's what God did. He pardoned them as a way of making it very clear and obvious this is who I am. This is Israel's tenth failure (laughs) habitual testing of God and failing to listen. And God forgives them. But forgiveness is not the same as transformation, they are forgiven stunning to me they are forgiven but they are not immediately changed into into a different people God says just as you've spoken I will do whenever we say God I think it would be better if you be careful now Caleb and Joshua will be exceptions imagine this that you are going to the battle of Jericho There are only two individuals in that group whose age is greater than 60. (laughs) The two believers. Your children are going to be the ones who take the city. And remember principle number one. I am the difference maker. It won't be because your children are more numerous than you. I am the difference maker. Your children are going to be enrolled in a 38-year training program to learn what you didn't. I am your difference maker, Your grace, my grace is your protection, and God's gifts are good, and that's what they are going to learn, but they're going to learn it the long way. Hopefully your regret, you've been pardoned, but hopefully your regret will make you a good voice to say, son, I so want you to learn what I didn't. We can be forgiven, but sometimes our failure also indicates the need for consequences. For example, remember what happened with David? David really blew it. Now, this is a man who loves the Lord, whose heart is, belongs to the Lord, and yet he really blew it in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah. And when David was confronted by Nathan... Here's what we read. This is 2 Samuel 12. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. You are forgiven. However, by, because by this deed you have given occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you will surely die. Grace, but consequences. Forgiven, but he's got to learn something that he didn't. Uh, God chooses the lesson. I want you to learn something. That's what he's saying to Israel with this gift. I want you to learn something which is depend on me. You can do amazing things through Jesus Christ. You get to choose whether you learn it the hard way or the easy way. And my plea for us is choose the easy way. What challenge has God put before us? What is he giving us that will involve cost? What hard thing is he preparing us to do? Remind yourself he's our difference maker. His grace is my protection. Remember number four. Hmm. Learn the easy way. When we reject what God wants for us, we enter the hard way school of learning. I didn't say hard way, the hard way school of learning. When Jesus came over the Mount of Olives and he looked at Jerusalem, he's on the way there in the triumphal entry, he wept over Jerusalem because they rejected a great gift. This amazing gift was being presented to them and they said no and he wept. The rich young ruler turned his back on treasure in heaven and it was a sad day. What is God putting before us that is a great gift that is costly, that is going to make demands of us, that calls us to change our ways. God's gifts are good. His grace is our protection. He's our difference maker. Knowing this, we can joyfully receive his gifts without hesitation and thereby accelerate our transformation. High risk, high cost, high benefit, no problem. Rochelle and I were having a conversation with a friend from another state uh, yesterday and I was so struck by something she said. She has a certain disease that, um, I won't get into all the details, but basically it's not good. It's the kind of disease that you would say, if that's God's gift, my prayer request is take it away. But that's not what I was hearing from her, which was again, so astounding. Here's, here's, now, these are not direct quotes, but this is the sense of what I was hearing from our friend. I have this amazing medical condition that gives me an opportunity to share Christ with people I would never otherwise have met. This is so amazing. Uh, The doctor came out and was talking to the daughter of this person. And the doctor was saying, I can't believe it. When I come away talking to your mom, I am so encouraged, and I'm supposed to be the one encouraging her. And her daughter said, yeah, that's because she knows Jesus and loves him. What has God handed to you that you're praying for him to remove Instead of saying, show me how you want me to use this to accomplish the work of the kingdom, God's gifts are good. What about you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a people who are joyous, buoyant, triumphant, on the move, excited, won't be quiet because we are reveling in who you are for the gifts that you have given us even when those gifts are not what we would choose for ourselves. But instead we're saying, I know where it came from so I'm rejoicing in your gift. Father, we want to be that kind of people We want to learn from Israel's failure how we can succeed and be a people who are bold and courageous and on the move because we believe your gifts are good. Father, would you please rescue us from suggesting alternatives when a lesson is a hard one or when a gift is a hard one to unwrap? Would you remind us that there's something you want to teach us And if we will unwrap the gift that you have given us, we can learn the easy way. Something that will make you look good. Father, I am pleading for you to work in the hearts of me and this people and make of us a people who are unstoppable because we trust you implicitly no matter what. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen.